Luke chapter 3. We are continuing in our series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. This will be the fifth installment of that series. The first was the person of the Holy Spirit. The second was the work of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, we talked about the baptism with the Spirit and then the filling of the Spirit. And today we are talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3. Let's, uh, does this seem a little darker in here than usual? Can we bring the lights up? I'm a little picky today, everybody. Can we bring the house lights a little up and can we turn off the fans? It's not sunny out. It's not hot in here. Turn the fans off. Bring the lights up. What else do I need? Can someone rub my feet while I'm out of here? Okay, a little more light. That's better. Let there be light. Let's pray. Christ, we thank you that you are present in our midst. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you manifest the beauty and sweetness of Christ here. We ask that you would do that all the more, Lord. And don't let my, my pickiness or my, my subtle rebukes get in the way of that. But we ask the Holy Spirit, you would come and manifest the wonder of Jesus in this place. We say together that we are here for Jesus. We're here because he's the only unique savior of the world because he died on the cross in our place and he rose from the dead and he's exalted, ruling and reigning from the throne over all the nations and he's coming again to visibly and forever establish his kingdom in this place. And these things are glorious and Christ is glorious and so that's why we're here. So Holy Spirit revealed to us more of the person of Jesus in the deep places of our hearts. And we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would do your work of propelling us into mission, that you would rescue us from living for ourselves. You would bring us into a place of living for Christ, for his purposes, his cause, his gospel, his kingdom. It's so much bigger than us. Teach us to live for bigger things. And so much of that has to do with anointing. So we ask that, Holy Spirit, you who are the teacher of all things, would instruct us about anointings and that you'd stir up our hearts. We, we would long for this stuff. You'd open up our minds, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we'd have understanding into the things of your word, and that you would give us unction to want to obey and follow be active members of your kingdom for your glory. And we ask together, please, Lord, that you would now, right now, please, anoint me to communicate your truth in a way that exalts Jesus and is consonant and consistent with the revealed word of God and brings much glory to your name and furtherance to your purposes. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, listen, brothers and sisters, here's what we're trying to do in this part of the series on the person work of the Holy Spirit, we are trying to develop a theological and yet practical understanding of what it means to move and operate in the power of the Spirit. Okay, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We, we don't want our lives to just be natural and normal. We want our lives to be supernatural and extraordinary by the power of the Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ. So we're learning what that looks like to move and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And in that, we have this little paradigm. Okay, this little paradigm. We realize that the Holy Spirit is passionate about Jesus, holiness, and mission. So when he's working in the life of the believer, he's always going to be working in us to a greater exaltation of Christ, a greater practical holiness in our lives, and a deeper engagement and mission in the world. Okay, that's our paradigm for understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. He's always moving us toward exalting Christ, living holy lives, and being on mission. So paramount to that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about. And then being continually filled with the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last week. And we talked about some of the preconditions for that, namely surrender, that we're willing to surrender our will, our agenda to his will and his agenda, right? And that we're willing to repent of those things that would hold us back from the will of God. And then we looked at last week from the book of Acts, the many results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we realize from Ephesians 5.18 that we are commanded to continually be being filled with the Spirit. The Christian life is meant to be life in the Spirit. That's what it's meant to be. It's nothing less than that. So we need to continually be being filled for faithful, fruitful, biblical Christian living. But there is even something more than that. Spirit not only comes upon us and fills us repeatedly, but the Spirit is wanting to anoint us and our lives. Now, the filling of the Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit are close. They are related. They are deeply connected, but there is some specificity. So once again, we turn to Jesus as our example of the operation of the Holy Spirit. So just by way of reminder, you're in Luke chapter 3. We read in verses 21 and 22. Now it came about when all the people were baptized, that Jesus also was baptized. And while he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came down out of heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. So Jesus himself had this upon experience of the Holy Spirit. We found this to be analogous to believers being baptized in the Spirit. We talked about that. And then we saw what the results of the Spirit coming upon Christ were in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness. So the result of being baptized in the Spirit was Jesus is now full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, And we talked about how Jesus was given the Spirit without measure, And Jesus was without sin. So he didn't need repeated fillings, but we do. We discussed that last week. We need to be repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice that the result of being baptized and filled with the Spirit was that he was led by the Spirit. That will be the topic of next week's sermon. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? How are we to understand that, do that? What are some safeguards regarding that? We also see that he's moving in the power of the Spirit now. Verse 14 of Luke 4. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. So, Spirit comes upon him. He's filled with Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. He's moving in the power of the Spirit. But there is even more. Verse 15 says, And Jesus began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. 
And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Jesus not only had the Spirit come upon him, was full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, moving in the power of the Spirit, but Jesus himself said, the anointing is upon me. Okay, this is Christ's first public discourse. This discourse, excuse me, this is the introduction to his ministry. And something is different now. Verse 22, they're wondering at the way he's speaking. And they're saying, isn't this Joseph's son? In other words, he grew up here in Nazareth. We've seen this guy before, but suddenly there's something very, very different. There's a different quality when he speaks. There's a different power in his actions and in his words. I mean, Wasn't this just Joseph's kid that we always knew? Something has changed. And Jesus explains by giving his own rationale for his ministry. The spirit is upon me. He has anointed me. Why all of a sudden did Jesus begin this powerful ministry? He was anointed by the spirit to do so. Later on, when the church would defend and explain the person and the work of Jesus, what would their explanation consist of? In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, we have Peter saying, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The church's explanation of the radical world-changing ministry of Jesus was that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So we're just using Jesus as an example now for the life of the believer. Spirit came upon him. He's filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and anointed by the Spirit. In fact, the title for Jesus, Christ, means the anointed one in Greek. Christos, it means the anointed one. It comes from the same root word that is used in the New Testament for the word anointing. Chrisma. Chrisma and Christos. Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. His very title, his very name denotes anointing. Jesus literally was the anointed one. Now we, as his followers are meant then to experience some of that anointing. So what exactly is it? When we talk about anointing, we're really using it somewhat synonymously for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, that upon thing, that filling thing. But there is a nuance, okay? Listen. Anointing, is when the Spirit enables you for a special God-glorifying task. You get that? 
Anointing is when the Spirit enables you for a special task. Okay, baptism in the Spirit is a must. Filling with the Spirit is a great provision for many needs that the Christian encounters in regular living and in missional living. We talked about that. Okay, great provision for many needs for faithful Christian living. But anointing is an enabling for a unique task or role or time or place. It is a giving of the power of the Spirit to accomplish something special. It is not merely a spiritual gift, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks talking about the gifts. It is the gifts functioning with unction. It's like the gifts with extra juice. You know what I'm saying? The gifts with extra fire. It's not merely gifting. It's more than that. It's when a gift is functioning at its fullest and there is this tangible liveliness to what's happening. Now, as ethereal as that seems, you've, you've experienced this. Okay, if you've been involved in the body of Christ for any time, you've experienced this. You've experienced perhaps anointing preaching, right? Usually when Chris Lazo's here, you, you've experienced <laughs> self-deprecation. You've experienced anointing preaching or, or, or you've seen anointed evangelists or you've experienced certain worship leaders where there's an anointing. It doesn't matter what they're singing or what they're playing. When they strum the chord, it's just like the spirit falls and you want to enter in. Okay, that's anointing. And when it comes to the body of Christ and people engaging in ministry, that, that is what we're looking for. That is what the world needs. That's what the church needs is men and women moving in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Special roles, tasks, times, and places to do things that would bring much glory to Jesus. You've, you've seen that. We have in our body anointed intercessors. Some of you that are involved in the body, you know there's certain people that on a Sunday when we're you know, doing the business afterwards and we're praying for one another, you want to find that person. Why? There's just an anointing on their prayers. There's just a power, an enabling, an unction. You've experienced this. It's when the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. You ever heard Billy Graham preach a sermon back in the days? You ever seen that on on YouTube or anything like that? What? Nothing to it. Like if you just listen to the content of a Billy Graham sermon or, or just the presentation, it but there was an anointing that changed the world. I've seen it before when I've been speaking at conferences or something and some guy comes up to the platform and he just just bumbles. I actually saw this one guy one time. I'm, can Jesus protect me? <laughs> and it was his turn to speak and he just came up and went, you know what, here's the deal. Some of you need to get saved right now. I'm not even going to preach the sermon. Some of you know you need to repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus right now. Do it. And people just started flooding down the aisles coming forward. Oh my gosh! What the hell? It's me! Oh my gosh! Just running for the front, repenting. That was anointing. If I had gone up and done that during my session, people would have been like, really? Maybe like say something or try a little bit. (laughs) That 
That is anointing. So Billy Graham had. You guys hear me every single week when I, I preach. I, I pray to be anointed. And sometimes preaching is the hardest thing on earth. It's just the hardest thing in the world. Sometimes, other times, it's just like flows like oil. It just flows. Sometimes it's just so hard to connect the dots. Other times, it just makes sense and flows and moves and has power. That's anointing. I can count on the gifting, whatever my gifting are, whatever the, the, the various contexts is, I can count on the gifting always being there. But the anointing is not always there. So I'll just talk about teaching because that's what I do a lot. So when I come up and teach, I know I'm going to be able to communicate. Okay, I'm, 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 I have a gift for teaching and preaching. I know I can communicate. But what I really want is anointing. Not just gifting. I want that gifting to be anointed where there's that inexplainable power on it where it's just effective for the glory of God. Sometimes it's there and that's a wonderful feeling. Sometimes it's not. And that's tough. Now, the concept of this, where we get this sort of phraseology and this framework is from the Old Testament. You're you're familiar with this. Remember back in the beginning of the book of Exodus when God was setting things up in the nation of Israel and he told Moses to make Aaron and his sons priests. Okay, something specific had to happen for them to go from just normal dudes, Moses' friend and his kids, to being priests for the nation of Israel. Right, what was it? Exodus 29, 1 and 7. God says to Moses, now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, set them apart, to minister as priests to me. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. That's where we get this concept from. Okay, we'll we'll explain oil in a minute. But something real and tangible had to happen for it to go from Moses' bro and his kids to these priests for the nation of Israel. Had to do with anointing. Remember when Samuel the prophet was told by God to identify the next king of Israel. Saul was the first king and there was going to be another one. And he found Jesse and all of his sons there, as many sons. And he goes through and he's looking at them all. And he comes to this little shepherd boy, David. And God said, that's, that's the one. Something had to take place for him to go from just David, the average shepherd boy, to the future king of Israel, whose throne would be established forever through whose lineage Messiah would come. First Samuel 16, 13. So as David stood there among his brothers... Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. So what is it about the oil? Is the power in the oil? I think that the oil is emblematic of, representative of the power the work, and the person of the Holy Spirit. Anointed him with oil, something physical, visceral, tangible, like like communion, right? God gives us these tangible things like baptism, okay? Anointing with oil. The oil being representative of the Holy Spirit descending upon and abiding with someone for a special task. 
Aaron, you're going to be a priest. It's a special thing. It's a special task. You need to be anointed. David, you're going to be king. It's a special thing, a special task, special role for a time and a place. You're going to be anointed. But the oil is more than just emblematic. It seems in some way, by the grace of God, to be effective. Because when it was put on these cats, something real happened. It wasn't mere symbolism. The Spirit actually came. We see this too in the New Testament. For example, Mark chapter 6, verse 13, we read, And they, the disciples, were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. The power is in the Spirit. It's not in the oil. But the oil seems to mean something in the economy of God. James 5 says this, Is anyone among you sick? Then you must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There's something to this act of faith, of taking this emblematic substance of oil, putting it on the person, and praying for the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to come upon them that God seems to honor. But the point is, that's where we get this phraseology and this framework for anointing. It's from that Old Testament concept that's carried into the New Testament. And what we saw was that everything changed the day that, for example, David was anointed. Went from the shepherd boy to the great and future king, who would do things like face Goliath. Okay, that was the anointing of the Lord upon his life. And then later on, David saw this and God would do this when he himself needed leaders. And we see in 1 Chronicles 12 that the Spirit took control of Amazi, and he became one of David's leaders. That was anointing for a role. We see this when Israel was in trouble and they needed a deliverer. And it says in Judges 3, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. So the Lord raised up Othniel as a deliverer to save the Israelites. The Spirit of the Lord came on him, and he judged Israel. Othniel went out to battle, and the Lord handed over that guy, king of Aram, to him, so that Othniel overpowered him. This is the idea of anointing, enabling for a task that accomplishes the purposes of God for the glory of God. We see it in sort of a neat way that connects with us, maybe on a more ground level, when God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle. And you know, when God makes things, he makes beautiful things. And so there was some beauty that needed to happen for the tabernacle. And so we read this in Exodus 31. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship in order to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze, right? Various mediums and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. God anointed just salt of the earth, work with your hands kind of guys to accomplish a special and beautiful purpose according to the ordination and the design of God. It wasn't just art for art's sake, which is beautiful and necessary and from the Lord, but it was something for Christ's sake, if I could say that. Something for the sake and the purposes of God. This is what we see in Scripture. God anointing people for special tasks to accomplish His purposes. And what is 
encouraging and simultaneously discouraging about this is that it's purely the sovereignty of God. It's nothing that Bezalel lobbied for. It was nothing that David lobbied for, right? It, it was just the, the sovereign choosing of God according to his, his own wisdom. It was the coming on of the Spirit, but in a unique way for a unique task. And it had as a result that unexplainable, powerful, effective enabling. And what was interesting is it could be gone as quickly as it came. Saul was anointed the first king over Israel, and then it, it was gone. Anybody that moves in anointings will tell you that sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Sometimes when I preach, there's a, a clear anointing. Other times, just functioning in the gifts. That's okay, but what you really want is the anointing, right? Sometimes when you are parenting, and you're wanting to glorify God in your parenting, and you're crying out for wisdom, you sense an anointing come upon you for that moment, right? Sometimes when you as a student want to be a faithful witness to your friends, once in a while you feel an anointing come upon you. You ever felt that where it feels like you can say no wrong, and you're able to address their issues and their questions, and you're able to supernaturally love them toward the kingdom? That, that's, that's anointing. A unique working of the Spirit that is both effective for the purpose of God and, and life-giving for the person moving in that anointing. Life-giving. When you're anointed, it's fun. When you're anointed, it's life-giving. It feels right. So at its root, that word anoint, charisma, means to set someone apart, to authorize and equip him or her, for a special spiritual task of importance. Can you begin to imagine yourself having such a task? It's when all of a sudden a place or a gift or an activity or an action feels like you were made to do it for the glory of God. There's an anointing there. You know where this is represented in kind of a neat ways in uh, the story of Eric Little. You know, Eric Little, he, uh, they made that, that movie is partially about him, The Chariots of Fire, right? You've seen that? And he went on to be a missionary to China and, and do wonderful things for the Lord, very faithful to God. But, but he, he had a great platform through his running. He was a, a runner. And he says there, I think it was the 1924 Olympics. I don't know when he said it, but in the movie, it portrays him running. And he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And as it says that in the film, it shows him with this look of euphoria in the 1924 Olympics, running his way to victory. And, and the, the, the dialogue, the narration in the background is, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Anointing. There is an interesting example of anointing in the New Testament a corporate anointing. Okay, John in his first epistle is writing to the church there. And there was happening a lot of deception. And they needed to have continual discernment within the church. They needed to be able to discern truth from error, demonic activity from God's activity. That's always happening in the church. They needed to be able to discern that. And so John wrote to them and said in 1 John 2, 
you have an anointing from the Holy One. And the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things. There was on this particular body of believers an anointing for discernment and learning and understanding. There are individual anointings and there are corporate anointings. There could be a certain anointing on a church or a nonprofit or a community group. Or, or whatever it is, there could be these corporate anointings. Some churches are anointed for evangelism. A lot of people get saved at that church. Some churches are more anointed for discipleship. Some churches seem more anointed for missions or church planning. Some churches are more anointed for healing and deep ministry. But there are, if you look around, different anointings on gatherings of God's people for certain purposes to the glory of God. And when we read scripture, we even see that there's anointing on places and things. Because Moses wasn't only told to anoint Aaron and his sons, but he was told to to anoint the tabernacle and all the utensils used in that ministry. You know this, when there's an anointing on a certain song. You sense that before, right? Certain song where in a certain season, you put it in your car and the CD and you're just like, in the throne room. There's just certain places and things that are anointed. I, I know of places in my life that for me, God has anointed that when I go there, there's a peace and a safety and a power and a renewal and a covering that's fruitful for God's kingdom, effective for his purposes. So anointing on individuals, corporate or congregational anointings, places, things. Most importantly, us. Okay, God's anointings are not just for the priests and the prophets and the kings of Israel, not just for special guys like Eric Little, but it is for every believer who is endeavoring to be faithful to the cause of Christ. The New Testament teaches a doctrine called the priesthood of the saints. Okay, the priesthood of the believers. The Baptists, God bless them, call it this. Every member a minister. Okay, here's what it means. Every single Christian is called to live life on mission. We have this creepy bifurcation. We have this horrific American evil thing where we think, well, the guys up there and the leaders, they're still supposed to do all the work of the ministry and we're just kind of watching and on occasion participating and giving. That's not the way the kingdom is meant to be. Every single man, woman, and child born again of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, is called to live life on mission. And what we need is anointed men and women and children on mission. Priesthood of the saints is represented in Peter's first epistle, chapter two, where he says to us, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Okay, priesthood of believers. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, okay, because you're called to this priesthood in the world, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. We're all called to represent the person and work of Jesus Christ in the world. A priesthood representing God to people. The thing about the priests that we learned from the Old Testament is they had to be anointed. 
It was imperative that they were anointed. It is imperative that we are anointed and we will be anointed to the degree and the extent that we are wanting to function in this priesthood of representing God in the world, ambassadors for Christ. Is that you? Are you living for anything bigger than yourself and your career and your stuff? Not that you can't engage in that and have that. That's fine. And that can be where your anointing is. If you are endeavoring to be faithful in your priesthood of representing Christ to the world, we need anointing for that. And we are meant to be anointed by God for God's glory. And this is the case no matter what your callings or opportunities are. I know of a doctor in our community who he's just, he's living for Jesus. He's a doctor, but everything for him is about Jesus. He is anointed. He's anointed in his practice and he's anointed outside of his practice. He's anointed for doctrine and he's anointed for spiritual work. Why? Because he's endeavoring to live in the priesthood. I know of a local business owner who is anointed. People get saved when they come in contact with their business. It's not normal. It's beyond mere giftings. His business is blessed. He's making money, but people are getting saved. When my daughter was dying and we spent a lot of time in the hospital, I met anointed nurses. Gosh, how the world needs anointed nurses. My, how our children need their moms and dads to be anointed on occasion for the things that our kids will face in this moment in history. We need to be anointed to raise them. Our little leagues need anointed coaches, not just to create good baseball players, but faithful disciples of Christ. We need anointed men and women in art and music and sports. So is this even possible for you? What we ought to do is pray for God's anointing on our lives, for the season and our places and our parenting and our relationships and our businesses and our functioning as a body of Christ, for our church, for the churches and our cities, we ought to be praying for special enabling for special tasks, indescribable effective power. Anything that is to be done for God is not to be done by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So what that means practically then is that at some point in our life, we have to begin pursuing the same things that the Spirit is pursuing in us and for us. The exaltation of Christ, the endeavoring to live a holy life, and engaging in Christ's mission in the world. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit, is to cooperate with the Spirit, to agree with the Spirit. What the Holy Spirit is wanting to do, you start to want to do. Now, the first place to start with that is being filled with the Spirit. Because again, to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the person of Christ. You begin to think, feel, and function according to the heart of Christ. So if you're like, I don't know where to start with this anointing thing. I don't know how to begin to cooperate with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That was last week's message. So I want us now to think about what it is we do in our lives, what it is we want to do, and what it may be that God has for us. I honestly just, 
as a pastor in this community, I just want to call us to live for something bigger. Your careers are fine. They're wonderful. Your endeavors are okay. But at some point, we have to transition from it being for me to it being for God's glory. Surrendering our will, saying, I want to live for something bigger. And at some point, we've got to be willing to do stuff like actually verbalize the gospel. Well, do stuff like Peter and John did when they were going up to the temple to pray and that guy was begging for money and they said, it's gold and silver we have not, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Pull him to his feet. Supernatural stuff, right? If we're not willing to engage in supernatural stuff, then we're not going to need supernatural power. So often we just settle for living normal. And that's part of life. Part of life is normal. But there's something more. Why, right? When, when I read scripture, I see a lot of abnormal stuff happening by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. Maybe God's calling you to start a Bible study. Maybe God's calling you to just begin to love and intercede for your neighbor who's broken and hurting. Maybe God is calling you to start to verbalize the gospel to that person that you've been a faithful witness to through the way that you live. Maybe God is calling you to a prophetic ministry. Maybe God wants to anoint you to pray for people and see them healed. Maybe God wants to anoint you as a counselor that can sit and listen to people and help them sort through the stuff that the Spirit's trying to show them. Maybe God wants to anoint you in a special way to love those who are around you. I don't know. But whatever you imagine it may be, that God might want to do with you. I want us to come in prayer now and ask him to anoint us. I want us to begin to say, God, I want to move in the effective power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus stood up in that synagogue and said, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. And the world was never the same. You're not Jesus, but you are his. And he lives in you. And he actually said, greater things you will do. I'm calling you to something bigger. I'm calling you to actually need to be anointed. What would it take for you to need to be anointed? Would it be that you have to surrender something? Would it be that you have to go after something? Some of you are called to the nations and you're stuck sitting here and God has an anointing waiting for you. What is it going to take in your life for you to need anointing? Is it a heart change? Is it a commitment issue? Is it intentionality? Maybe you need to just spend time praying and fasting, saying, God, what? Is there, is, is there something in my life that's a special task that you want me to do that you would anoint me for? Because I tell you, your life is precious to him. He has a plan to use you in this world as who you are with the people that you know and what you do. If he didn't, he'd kill you and take you home. He's got a plan to use you in this world. Your life counts before God. So prayer team's going to come up here and they're going to have anointing oil. Yeah, we're going to get creepy. (laughs) And I, I want you guys to think about what it is the Holy Spirit might want to anoint you for or, or even to dream and say, Christ, I want to live for you in this way. Will you anoint me for that?
And you can come up here and they'll lay hands on you, anoint you with oil. You don't need the prayer team for that. Oil's not even necessary. You can pray for each other or you can come up with your bros and you can grab the oil. It's yours. It's your church. You bought it and you could dump it on each other and start to pray for each other. But let's pray for this stuff because the world needs anointed men and women. I like to see moms and dads come up together, get an anointing for parenting at this time. I like to see businessmen and nurses and artists come up and be anointed. Some of you, this is all very familiar, and you just want a fresh anointing. Man, I, I live in that place, always looking for fresh anointing. I just want to be as effective to the glory of God as possible. Again, it's not a merit thing. We are in Christ, who is our merit and our righteousness before God. It's a calling thing. It's a task thing. It's a surrender thing. It's a willingness thing. He's wanting to anoint you. So, Lord, give us grace for this time now. We, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. But we need an impartation of faith and vision. Faith and vision. To dream that you might want to do big things that are beyond us. To believe that you're able to accomplish glorious things. So we ask the Holy Spirit as we just begin to pray and seek you that you would please come. Make us bold. Thank you that this is a safe place that we all love each other and we're here together and we all want the same thing. More of Jesus and to be faithful to him. So Holy Spirit, lead us in that now. Come Holy Spirit. Anoint this time and this place and begin to impart to people whatever you sovereignly will. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.